guys can have a seat. Yeah, that little phrase, sorry, what, what is that? The second one, Nate. Nate, no music stand this morning. It's impressive. Um, God of glory, you are able through your power to be faithful. Amen? You know, if God would have made all these promises, but he wasn't sovereign and powerful to fulfill them, the promises really wouldn't do us a whole bunch of good, right? Or as my grandma would say, they wouldn't be worth a hill of beans. Um, Grandma says that sometimes. I don't know if she's in here. Anyway. But it's because of his power that he's able to fulfill his promises. And uh, man, I'm thankful for that this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 8. Uh, this is going to be our last week in the Psalms for a while. We've preached through the first eight Psalms. And um, uh, this Psalm was, you know, as I, as I prepare like what we're going to be preaching on and where we're going to be going, I want you to know that I, I try to, along with the elders, do it prayerfully and ask the Lord to lead us. And and this morning, Psalm 8 was really one of the psalms that kind of um, just uh, made it clear. I was going to for sure do something on the first couple psalms, but then I wasn't sure how long we were going to keep going. And as I was kind of looking at the calendar, I knew we, that we were getting close to Easter. And uh, of course, this being the week before Easter, this is Palm Sunday. And uh, then as I just, I we'd, already started the psalms, but then I just kind of jumped ahead and was kind of counting the weeks of where we would be on Palm Sunday. And then I, you know, looked ahead and saw that we would be in Psalm 8. And I was just looking if there was anything that was kind of Palm Sunday-y in Psalm 8 or that tied in with that at all. And it, this was totally, I, I, again, this was just, just the Lord, but, and I felt just giving him, giving us direction that we're heading in the right direction in his word. But, but if you'll look real quickly at verse 2 in Psalm 8, it says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. And as we'll see a little bit later here as we get into it, in Matthew 21, Jesus, which, Jesus is cleansing the temple, and in Matthew's gospel, it probably took place on Palm Sunday. But Jesus, Jesus quotes that verse. And so it was just kind of an affirmation to me that we were kind of heading in the right direction, and that this has you know, been something that God has wanted to speak to us um, as we've been kind of prayerfully planning and going going forward in what he wants to teach us from his word. But, but anyway, Psalm chapter 8, let me just read it. We'll get into it. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord. You guys see the little, I don't know if you have this or not, but is your first Lord all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, and then the next one is Lord, just capital L, and then lowercase O-R-D. That is, it's two different words for God. Um, o Lord Yahweh, O Yahweh, our Adonai, Yahweh, the eternal name for God. Uh, it's when Moses asked him, when he met him at the burning bush, um, who shall I say sent me? He says, tell them I am Yahweh. Tell them I am sent you. There's an aspect of mystery to it. Lord, just, or I'm sorry, Adonai just simply means Lord. Um, that this mysterious eternal one um, who nobody has seen nor can see and fully live, um, is also our Lord and our Master. So, O Yahweh, our Adonai, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Nobody, nobody like him. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, (coughs) what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And then he ends the same way he began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray one more time. Father, thanks for this morning. We love you. Please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Amen. Uh, Before we kind of get into it here and kind of talk about what the point of this psalm is, I need to show you kind of some technical things or some observations regarding the structure and stuff that that really uh, point to its purpose. So the psalms are, they're, they're songs, but they're also poems. I'm not a poet at all, okay? I'm, I can, you know, I rhyme every now and then by accident, um, but I'm not real good at that, you know, type of artistry with words. But uh, David and much of the writers of the psalms, they were, they were poets. And so uh, if you're, you've ever studied literature, English, poetry, any of that stuff, you know that there's ways that uh, the authors of poems structure things in order to kind of point to its purpose, and uh, there is that type of structure that points to the purpose of what the author is trying to communicate within this psalm. And so, first of all, just, and I kind of pointed this out as we read through, just the structure. You'll notice verse 1 and verse 9, at the first and the last verse, they are the same. It is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as you continue to go down, there's parallelism that kind of works its way through. And I, I don't want to bore you with all this, but it is a little bit important, important to just at least point out is that if you look at verse 3 and verse 6, there's again these parallels, not word for word like verse 1 and 9 are. But in verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, then look at verse 6, you have given dominion over the works of your hands. So notice the parallel between fingers in verse 3, and the works of your hands. Again, talking about creation. So you've got these outward bookends. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then you work your way in. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers. When I look at the heavens, the works of your hands. And then you come in, and the point, when things are set up like this structurally, the point is usually what's right in the middle. And what's in the middle is, uh, is really interesting. Because we're in the middle. And uh, this psalm, just like all of the rest of God's word, it's ultimately about God's glory. But this psalm specifically is about how man has been created with a special dignity and kind of a special glory in and of himself given by God that is given for the purpose of giving glory back, back to God. And these middle verses, there's this tension that the author wants us to see, and he says it here in verses 4 and 5. He says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? 
And yet, then he follows it up with verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And so the psalmist is looking here, and he's, again, this is a creation psalm. If you, I don't know if you noticed this as we read through it, but the themes of creation and God making all things. God is not creature, guys. He has always existed. He has always been there. He is the creator. Everything else is creation. And we, as human beings, as mankind, are the crown jewel of his creation. And we have been given a special dignity in order, we bear his image in order to give honor and glory back to him. Um, this psalm is also important. Again, just an observation here, and we'll, I'll unpack this more. But four of these verses, within these nine verses, are quoted in four different places in the New Testament. Uh, verse 2, verses 4 through 6, and then verse 6 at two different places are all quoted in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, Hebrews 2, 1 Corinthians 15, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verse, verse 22. And so again, there's a lot of weight, there's a lot of importance here, and it speaks to our purpose for which God has created us. You know, really, um, probably within the last 30 years, there's just been a lot given and a lot talked about within the church regarding purpose. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it started back with Rick Warren's books, The Purpose Driven Church, but then also uh, the one that became, you know, like the New York Times number one bestseller, and I think still kind of holds all sorts of records uh, for most books ever sold, called The Purpose, The Purpose Driven Life. And so we got really caught up in the church and purpose. And, and not, it's not all bad. Like, I'm not knocking that. It's important, but there's something that I think we miss in purpose is that purpose always points to something else. It always points to something else. And so, a lot of, and the problem becomes, because many times we, we think about our purpose and we think that it's all about us and like discovering our purpose is the ultimate end. Like if we can just discover the purpose for which we were made, were made then we will be satisfied. And that's like partly true because we do need to know why, were we, why we were created, and Psalm 8 is going to talk about this. But when we find out our purpose, what we're going to find out is, is that we've been given a purpose not to make much of us. And see, what happens many times is we find out our purpose, and then we want to go around like, this is my purpose, this is my purpose, this is my purpose. And it's like, <laughs> purpose points to something else. And that's true for absolutely, for absolutely everything. Did you guys brush your teeth this morning? Don't raise your hand on that. I don't want to know if you didn't. But your toothbrush is not about your toothbrush. It's about good hygiene, cleaning your teeth, and so that we can have conversation this morning with, you know, out being offended by each other's bad breath. Um, uh, this pen, it's really, I mean, it's a multicolored one. I feel like a little kid every time I show this, but I like it for underlining stuff in my Bible. But, like, it's, it's, it's not about the pen. It's about giving me the ability to put something down on paper. This microphone, I mean, it's not a whole lot to look at. It's because it's, it's not what it was created for. It was created to project somebody, somebody else's voice. Purpose always points to something else. 
And so I say all that because as we're going to talk today about man's dignity and about man's purpose, and it's a glorious purpose. It's a purpose that um, is set apart above all creation to be able to be done in, in a special way, in a more powerful way than the rest of God's creation. And that is to point back to God and to make, and to make much of him, to make much of him. And so, just a couple things here, a couple thoughts as we work our way through this psalm, and we'll kind of take it and be looking at uh, the verses that are quoted in the New Testament, helping us to understand our purpose, which is ultimately to bring honor and glory back to God, which is why you have this first and this last verse, verse 1 and verse 9, it's just giving glory to God, and that's what we were created to do that we would all say from beginning to end, from the beginning of our day to the end of our day, from the beginning of our life to the end of our life, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. First of all, um, we find that we have purpose in worshiping him. And this is really simple, but yet it's also really profound. So verse one, and then the end of verse one, you've set your glory above the heavens. And verse two, out of the mouths of babies and infants, and look closely at this, and I'm reading out of the ESV here, but it says, you have established strength. Then he's going to say why he established strength. Because of your foes to still the enemy in the avenger. That, guys, there is absolutely nothing beyond Worship. Worship is the highest purpose for which we were created, and it's good in and of itself just to worship God. Yet, that worship in and of itself, it has other effects. There's, it's almost like our, our purpose is to worship him, but he gives even more purpose to our purpose. It's good just to worship him, just to enjoy him, just to give him glory, just to say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yet, our purpose even has another purpose. And he says here what it is, it is that it silences our praise, silences and stills God's foes and his enemies. And you'll see this more clearly when, again, if you, if you want to flip over to Matthew 21, Jesus here has come in uh, on Palm Sunday. He has uh, ridden in on the donkey. They've all shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, in Matthew's gospel, again, the, the other gospels, it's hard to tell. It might have happened on Monday, but in Matthew's it seems to have happened uh, on, on Sunday evening. He goes into the temple. And he begins to cleanse the temple, and he overturns the tables. And, you know, it was a day that Jesus got really mad. And he makes a whip, and he drives people, and he drives people out of the temple because they're profaning it. And then he begins to heal. This is Matthew 21, verse 14. It says that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, who are his enemies, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, they said, the children, they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, again, the Pharisees said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Again, the, not just the children, but I think the blind and the lame, everybody that uh, had been healed and touched by him. And Jesus says to them, yes, I do hear what they're saying. And he says, have you never read, which would be highly offensive, to a scribe and to a chief priest because all they did was read and study the Bible. But he says, have you never read? And then he quotes from Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And notice how Jesus quotes it here. He, 
he doesn't really change it, but there's nuance to these Hebrew, to these Hebrew words, words. He says that out of the mouths of infants and babies, you have prepared praise. Okay, that's in Matthew 21. But if you look back here in verse 2 in Psalm 8, he says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength. So he's saying it's established strength and prepared praise. And there's insight here if we're able to see it is that, guys, our strength comes from praising him. Our strength, we are established in strength. We are strong when we do, as Jesus interprets here in Matthew 21, when we praise him, when we simply worship. See, and this is so important for us, I don't, because this is something that we do every week. And I don't know if you... It seems like there seems to be these, these different streams or different lanes in the church that some people are word churches and some people are more worship churches. And so some people are really about singing on Sunday mornings and some people are really about preaching on Sunday mornings. And that's such a false dichotomy. Um, it's one of the same, is that we sing through song and we worship him through song and ever, all I'm trying to do every week as we open the word is just to try to continue to help us to worship, to worship our way through the word, because it's as we worship him, as we praise him, as we exalt him, that we are made strong, that he displays his strength in us, but that he actually defeats his foes. So guys, you talk about dignity for mankind, you talk about a glorious purpose, your purpose is to actually have God work through you to defeat the enemies of God. Namely, Satan, sin, and death, and everybody else who falls on that side and who opposes him through worshiping him. And when you have infinite strength, when you have infinite might and glory like God, you can't just display that strength just by taking somebody on directly. It's like you need infinite weakness to be able to display that strength through just so that you can see how strong it really is. It's kind of like when I'm picking basketball or when, we, when I play basketball with my boys. Almost always, you got Ephraim, who's the oldest, and then Rowan, and then Finn, and now little Jordan. And so usually when we choose teams, it wouldn't be uh, much of a game if it was me, Ephraim, and Rowan against the younger two. And so because uh, I'm the biggest, I used to be the best, but Ephraim's passing me now. It's a, it's a sad day in our house. Breaks my ankles all the time when we play basketball. But, um, but who is it? It's Ephraim and Rowan against, against me and the younger ones. Because as the strongest myself, I need weakness on, on my side uh, to display just how great I really am. <laughs> and if you think, man, this dude is arrogant. Ah, well, maybe. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kidding, but you kind of get, get the point. Is that God loves to display his strength through utter weakness, through infants and through babies. And guys, throughout the scriptures, um, you see this happening over and over again, that when God's people, and like when we come in here on Sunday mornings, but not just here, okay, just making one application to here, but guys, there's more going on than just singing when we're singing, that is, we truly delight ourselves in God and in who he is. 
He is using our praise, our devotion to him, our crying out to him, our joy, our satisfaction in him to glorify his name to invisible beings in the heavenly realms. He is glorifying his name through our weakness as infant and babes, as the lame and the blind, praising him. He is glorifying his name through our praise to heavenly beings, angels and demons that we cannot see. And you're like, Eric, you're making that up. I'm not making it up. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says, So, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. Somebody should say amen or something on that. Am I making sense? You follow me? Guys, this is what we were created to do. That in our weakness, even though we can't do anything, if we will just cry out to him, he is glorifying his name in the spiritual realm in a way that we can't imagine. You see this all over, like in, and, and it breaks into the physical realm sometimes. It breaks in as we delight ourselves in him. Remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, they're sitting in the inner prison, the darkest, uh, dinkiest cell, and they're chained, and at midnight, in the midnight hour, what do they begin to do? They begin to sing. They begin to praise God. And there's an earthquake, and the chains are broken. God glorifies his name. He busts through, not just from the spiritual realm, but into the physical realm, and glorifies his name. In one of my favorite stories in in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you've got King Jehoshaphat who's being surrounded by all these armies. And um, I, I love this example of leadership because I feel like this sometimes. It's like you don't always know what to do as a leader. And I love Jehoshaphat's example in this story is that he gathers all of the nation of Israel around him and he gets them all together and these armies are coming against him and they're so far outnumbered it's not even funny like to just put up a fight in and of themselves. It wouldn't even be a fight. It would just be an annihilation. And they, he gathers them all together and he just says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then everybody's just quiet, and they're standing there, and this guy named, I think it's Jehaziel, within the midst of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he kind of has this word for, for the people, and he says, don't fear, go out against them tomorrow in battle array, but you will not have to fight, the Lord will fight for you. And so the next morning, they all gather together, but they don't take any weapons. You know who they send out in front? The worship team. Those who sing, and those who play music. And they go out and they sing, great is the Lord, great is his steadfast love, his love endures forever. And as they do that, God sends an ambush against these armies that were stronger in number. And he overcomes them. Don't think for a second that your worship does not matter. It matters. And guys, every moment of our life, we were created to worship, to delight ourselves in him and this is an, an unbelievably high purpose and calling that he has given us. But he goes on here. He says, out of the mouths of infants and babes, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Then he says, when I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers. Again, down in verse 6, kind of the same things, the work of your hands. So he's looking up at the heavens. And, man, if you've ever done that, if you've ever just laid out and kind of looked at the stars on a clear night, 
and you just see them and you can't count them and on a really clear night you see more of them than ever and they're shining and you come to one conclusion. You come to the same conclusion that the psalmist came to. He looks up at the heavens and he sees all that God has done. Then verse 4 and he says, what is, what is man? What, what is man that you're even mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You know, we were praying this morning back there before the service, and one of the things that just came to mind is like, man, it is so, it's so good at times to feel small, isn't it? Like we so, one of the purposes of man that gets, that gets again, the purposes of God for us, we're created with great dignity, but it gets twisted, and it gets perverted because of sin and temptation. And man, we do have a great glorious purpose, which is what we're looking at, but we, we think that our great glorious purpose and our our, our worth will be found in making much of ourselves, in becoming big, becoming strong. We think that that's where, if we can just, bigger, faster, stronger, more money, more power, more fame, better looking, bigger cars, bigger houses, more influence, that's where it's at. It's not true. There's something so good about being small and embracing that smallness. There, there is a peace that passes all understanding. When you can just embrace the fact that, yes, this God is in the heavens. He does whatever pleases him. I look up at the stars. I look at the works of his fingers and of his hands. And yes, I am nothing. Yet, I am something because he chose to love me. And man, if you, if you can't embrace that smallness and that finiteness, um, I think you're missing out on a joy that God intends for you. R.C. Sproul says this much better than I just attempted to say it. In his book, The Holiness of God, <clears throat> he says, the clearest sensation that a human being has when he experiences the holy is an overpowering and overwhelming sense of creatureliness. Everybody say creatureliness creatureliness. Yeah, I like that. He just made up a word, and I, that's awesome. That is, he goes on, that is, when we are in the presence of God, we are humbled, and we become most aware of ourselves as creatures. Uh, when we meet the absolute, we know immediately, immediately that we are not absolute. When we meet the infinite, we become acutely conscious that we are finite. When we meet the eternal, we know that we are temporal. To meet God is a powerful study in contrasts. Is that true for you? Is that your experience of God? I don't know how it's true. I, I do know how it's true. It's because of sin. And I've sinned a lot in my life, and I continue to struggle with sin. And whenever I find myself in sin, and I just stop, and if I think about it, I guarantee you it is never because I am enjoying just being small and creaturely. Whenever I find myself stuck in sin, it's because I have somehow stepped out of my role as creature and tried to make it all about me. And I bet the same is true of your life as well. That when we get stuck in sin and it becomes a stronghold and 
we can't seem to get free of it. Most of the time it's because we're trying to make our purpose about us rather than making our purpose about what it was intended to be made about, which is God. What we see in verse 4 and 5 is that we are greatly insignificant compared to him, yet we are greatly significant because of him. I'm going to say that again. You've got to hold these two things together. This is all I'm saying. We are greatly insignificant compared to him, yet we are greatly significant because of him. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5, yet you have made him just a little lower than the heavenly beings, or maybe it says angels. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim, which is usually another word that's used in the Hebrew for God, but um, probably angels or heavenly beings here. And he says, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So we're nothing, yet we're absolutely everything. We're nothing compared to him, yet we're everything because of him, because he's given us, he's given us this, glorious, this glorious purpose to honor and to glorify him. That's the purpose for which we were created, and it all crumbled at the fall when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree that they should not have eaten of. Again, these verses here, verse 4 and 5, I want to catch us up here and do some more biblical theology. This is important. But verse 4 and 5 are quoted, and and 6 as well, are quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews quotes this verse. I'll I'll explain it here in a second. And he makes a very important observation about this verse as he's talking about creation here in Psalm chapter 8. And it's something uh, that we need to take notice of. But he says, verse 5, he says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. And again, he's talking about how important man is. And it's like he didn't subject the world to angels. He subjected it to mankind. He says, of which we are speaking. He says, it has been testified somewhere. And then he's going to quote here from Psalm chapter 8. This is Hebrews 2. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, here's the observation that he's going to to make and that we need to pick up on. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. You're like, okay, I, I get it. But then here's the thing that he picks up on. I love this. He goes, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, are you following me here? He's talking about man's glorious purpose, that God hasn't given the world to angels. He's given it to mankind. He quotes this verse, and he says, um, yeah, God has put everything in subjection under his feet, yet he makes this important observation. But, But right now, we don't see everything in subjection under his feet. I mean, how many of you would like to testify this morning that everything in your life is perfectly in subjection under your feet? Anybody? You got everything under control. Everything's just perfect. Everything that you want to happen is happening. It's all perfectly in subjection under your feet. Anybody? No, I didn't think so. Me neither. And so understand these tensions that the biblical authors are building for us here to teach us a deeper reality and a deeper truth. And so you've got Psalm 8, and he's saying here, God has put everything in subjection to man. But over here in Hebrews 2, he's quoting this verse, and he's saying, it, yeah, it says it. Everything is subject to man. But right now, we don't see it that way. We're not currently experiencing that right now. Why? The why is because of sin. Because we've rebelled. 
because we've rejected God. And so there's a problem here. And again, there's a beautiful theological truth as you, and we just don't have time for all this, but in Psalm 8, him in, in retelling the creation story and the creation narrative, which is what he's doing here, he never once mentions the fall. Why? Is he, is he not aware of it? Is he not aware that the fall has happened? Well, surely not. I mean, David is the one that wrote this, and up through, you know, Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, what we've seen over and over again is that David is experiencing the reality of the fall, that he's being hunted by people. He's, his own son has, has tried to overthrow his, his kingdom. He's on the run from Saul. He's, he's hiding in caves. He, he's, he's experiencing his own sin. He cries out to God to forgive him and to have, and to have mercy on him. So what's going on? Why is he not pointing out the reality of the fall in Psalm chapter 8? Why is he just talking as if everything is in subjection under our feet? Here's why. Because someday it will be again. And the reason it will be is because of Jesus. That Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the perfect human being. And man rejected his purpose to honor and glorify God and rule all of creation, not just ruling over creation, but as one who is also in submission to a higher creator. And we rejected all that when we sinned, but Jesus came to make it right. Let me finish up reading in Hebrews chapter 2. Again, I want you to, I'm taking my time with this because I want you to see where I'm getting it in the text. He says again, now in putting everything in subjection to him, to hum, humankind, he left nothing outside his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we do see, verse 9, what do we see? But we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Who are you talking about? Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering and death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everybody. That every single one of us has rejected our purpose in ruling this earth in a good way that serves one another and loves one another and therefore honors and glorifies God and reveals to all of creation what God is like. We've rejected that. We've become selfish with it. We've made our purpose all about us, trying to become big and puff ourselves up. You see this from beginning to end in the Bible. But Jesus comes as the perfect God-man. Fully God, fully man, tempted in every way, just as we are, the writer of Hebrews is going to go on to say. And he lives a perfect life that Adam and all of us should have lived but never have. And he comes and he sets all things right again. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here when he says, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, Jesus, but he's now crowned with glory and honor because of suffering and death. And what he's saying here, and this is what the writer of Psalm 8, David, was picking up on why he doesn't mention the fall, because it's a prophetic psalm. Looking forward to, again, someday, someday, we are going to be seated with Christ fully. Already the Bible says in Ephesians that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. But we're going to be seated with him fully in his kingdom. And do you know what we're going to do with him? We're going to rule 
with him. Did you know that? See, I think this purpose and this dignity that God has for us, it's beyond what we can even comprehend. Because God is over us, he is creator, we are created, and whenever we know somebody on this earth that has power, that has authority, that has influence, that has might, what do they do with it? They put people in subjection under them. And they rule over them with an iron fist. But God, in his might and in his strength, he shares his power with us. Just like he wanted to at the beginning of creation, but we again rejected rejected it. Now, of course, God is, hear me, God is all-powerful. He is over all. But when you're all-powerful, you really are not afraid to share, to share that power. And that's what Jesus does for us. And guys, I know that was some heavy stuff there, but just, here's, here's the point, is that you've got to see God for who he is, but you also have got to see yourself for who you are. And there's a duality here that the Bible wants us to see. And one is, is that compared to God, it truly, like, we are nothing. But yet, at the same time, because of him, we are absolutely everything. Your life matters. Your life matters this morning. And it's not because of you, it's because of him. And if you want to find purpose and meaning and joy and peace and dignity in doing something that makes a difference, not just for you and the people around you, but bringing honor and glory to God, then you've got to hold these two things together. That compared to him, you're greatly insignificant, yet with him, you're greatly significant because, because of what he's done. And that's what the writer of the psalm is trying to get us to understand and to see. Um, he goes on here in verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And again, that, the beginning of verse 6 there is quoted again in Ephesians chapter 1. And also, and by the way, how many people are taking the E2 course in here? Anybody? Is that, does Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 sound familiar to any of you? It should be because that's the passage you're supposed to be working on to memorize. But it says in Ephesians 1 22 that God has put all things under his feet. But in speaking of that in Ephesians chapter, in chapter 1, what he's speaking of is how we are the body and Christ is the head. And he's now he's created this new kind of humanity that he's the head and we're all together, not just individually, but corporately. We're all one person together in Christ. And he's now ruling, wants to rule through his church and bring honor and glory to himself until we rule fully with him, seated, seated with him in the kingdom. But here's the point, is that it's quoted there and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 and then we'll wrap up with this. But turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, <clears throat> but again, God has designed us to rule in such a way that we bring glory and honor to him who rules over us. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, 
we see verse 6 quoted again. And I'm going to start in verse 20. The quote is in verse uh, 27. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Waiting for you to get there. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Again, Christ as the better Adam here. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Remember verse 27. And he's going to quote from Psalm 8, verse 6. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are, are subjected to him, in other words, when Christ is ruling over all, here's what he's going to do then. And he's going to give us an example of how we are to live this life, continually worshiping God, how we were meant to do it in the beginning, but we didn't. But when all things are subjected to him, verse 28, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Here's what he's saying, okay? If that's confusing there, the way he talks. All things are going to become under our head, Jesus, and we as his, as his body. And when all things are under his feet, here's what Christ is going to do. The ultimate example of what man was created to do, but we didn't. When all things are subjected, are subjected to him, and he has all power and all authority, here's what he's going to do. He's going to turn, and he's going to bow, and he's going to give all things back to the Father. That God may be, that's what he ends there, verse 28, that God may be all in all. Does that make sense? That Christ came, guys, and he not only conquered and lived the perfect life that we could not live and gives us grace, by dying on the cross, by being our sacrifice, by taking the penalty for our sins, even though he didn't deserve it. We find grace and acceptance, changed hearts, become his children in him. But he also gives this example of how we're to live. And the example is, is that he created us and designed us to rule with all dominion in the earth. But the point in the example that we see from Christ is that we only rule with this effective dominion when we rule in submission to who he is and the fact that he is creator and we are the created. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. And all that to say, here's what, here's what I want to say to you this morning as we close. You already, I kind of tricked you, okay? I didn't mean to, but it's okay. Um, well, I kind of meant to, but Anyway, here's my point. I kind of tricked you because earlier I asked if everybody feels like they've got everything in their life, everything's perfectly under your feet, and everything's in control, and you've got every area of your life is just, is just, is just going okay. And I want to be clear, like, in this life, Jesus promised us, he said, you'll have much trouble, you know, in this world. But take heart, I've, over, I've overcome the world. And that's what we've looked at for brief, briefly here this morning. But here's the point, is that when things begin to go wrong in our life, 
um, and things begin to fall apart, there's a lot of hurt and pain. Most of the time, it's because of our own sin. Now hear me. I'm sure that there are many people sitting here this morning with painful things in your life that are not your fault. It's not your sin. It's sin that was done to you, okay? And I'm not trying to make light of that or to overlook that. But something that we all, that I deal with on a regular basis as a pastor, not just me, we all, we all encounter this, is that people have stuff going on in their life that's heavy and hurtful and it's fallen apart and they just don't know what to do. And here's what it all comes down to in the end. It's the same for you and it's the same for me all the time, is that we're trying to rule with all this dominion, but at the same time, not in submission to him. And what I want to call us to this morning as we come and as we close and sing and take communion together is as we take these things, guys, and I, I know you've heard me say this, but it's his broken body. It's his shed blood that those things represent. We have those things as a gift to us, as a place to run, because he said one night in the garden, as he was sweating drops of blood, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. See, he ruled not just, yeah, he had dominion, but he ruled in submission to what God had placed before him to do. And my invitation this morning specifically is that I just wonder if there's some here this morning who there's some things in your life and they're just not like, they're just not right. You're, you're, you're broken up, you're stressed out, there's no peace, you can't sleep, you run into other things. And again, I don't know for certain, I'm just asking a question and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would use it. But are you, as much as you can, submitting your life to the authority, to the rule and reign of our Creator God? Are you purposing in your heart to submit to Him? Because it is only in submitting to Him and in what He purposes for you that He is actually going to be able to work through you to rule and to reign and to bring Him praise and honor and glory here on the earth. Does that make sense? So just search your heart. Just search your heart this morning. I'm not God, I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, when we open ourselves up to him, when we draw near to God, he wants to draw near to us. I invite you to do that this morning. Say, Holy Spirit, please come search me and know me. See if there be any anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All right, Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that this morning, wherever there is things in our lives and even in our hearts that is not in submission to you, that's not under your feet, Lord, would you please be gracious to us and would you help us um, to just lay down, <laughs> to just bow, to just let go, to surrender, to give up control, to, um, to wave the white flag. Lord, whatever we, however we want to say it, Lord, we, we want to bring honor and glory to you. We want to embrace this high calling as the crown jewel of creation, bringing you honor and glory and praise. 
But Lord, we want to do it as Christ did it. We want to do it by bowing before you, submitting to you, and asking that you would be seen as the great and awesome God that you are. Lord, as we come this morning and as we take communion, I pray that you would grant us the gift and grace to be able to search our hearts and not lie to ourselves. Father, if you would just do this one thing, that you would not allow us right now in this moment to lie to ourselves. Help us to be honest and then help us to run to the cross knowing that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys stand with me if you're serving communion.